Uh, good morning, Calvary. How are you? I knew better than that. Good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good. It's good to see you today. Um, there's a lot going on, and I want to start by, by doing an ask, and I don't do asks very much, but we have a, some volunteer needs, so let me show you four real quick ways that you can serve at our church. Sunday mornings, we always need people to help, and let me explain why Sunday mornings is important, okay? Um, especially in our kids' ministry, a healthy church has one child for every five adults, okay? That means it's a healthy church. Anything less than that, and your church is getting a little bit older and not multi-generational, anything more than that, and you have lots of kids. <laughs> we have three adults per kid. So what that means is we have a lot of kids. Good job. Y'all have lots of kids. The problem with that is the rotation is hard to fill. And so if you're bad with kids, stay away. But we, we need you to really pray and ask, God, do you want me to help with our kids' ministry. Um, another thing we need is serve Sunday. Next Sunday afternoon is another way to serve. Um, and Sunday afternoon, we're going to go out, and we need to, you to sign up. We're serving in our church, serving in our community, getting our church ready for Easter, which is the following Sunday, two weeks from today, and also serving our community. And then Easter Sunday, we always need people. By the way, we need many of you, if you are willing to, on Easter Sunday to go to either a 9 or 11.20, because the service typically doubles that day. And if this room doubles, we will be in trouble in a good way. So we want you to come. We want you to bring your friends. But we want you to come, if, if you can, to the 9 or the 1140 service. If you can't, then come to this service. And then last but not least, Vacation Bible School. Um, last year, we had about 350 kids. And we are in desperate need of some really qualified people to help serve that week. We've had quite a few of our core teachers move away, and we just need some more people to help. Say, I can't help with children in that area. Can you help with snacks? Can you help with prayer? Can you help with recreation? We have a place for you. So if you're available at all that week, would you let us know as we can do it? Because what we're doing is carrying out the gospel. And you might sit there and go, who, me? Which is our series series. Yeah, you. And if you notice what we did last week is we have a saying around here, followers make followers of Jesus. And last week we talked about how followers share with a, and this week we're talking about how followers serve God and others. How can I serve? Well, you can serve by doing what is unexpected. You can serve by going and doing what you aren't expected to do. Um, I'm actually probably going to be teaching the fifth grade in vacation Bible school, so y'all can pray for that seriously. Um, that's not a joke. But I love that idea, and I, I, I'm willing to do that and excited. But sometimes God calls you to go outside of your comfort zone and to do that. And so today we're going to talk about how we serve God. We're going to talk about the calling of service, the cost of service, and the consistency that is required to know where God is leading. So Jesus will call us to do unexpected things. We're going to be looking at this through the life of Peter. And first we're going to talk about Peter's calling in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Here's what it says, Matthew 4, 18 through 20. As he, being Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Follow me and I'll make you fisher of people. Now, a couple of really important things to see right here. Peter didn't go looking for Jesus to speak into his life that day. Have you ever noticed the calling of God comes usually when you're least expecting? The calling of God often comes in ways that you aren't expecting. 
when, when Jesus approached Peter and he was fishing, I don't think Peter woke up that morning today, hey, I bet today I encountered the living God on the, on the sea, right? But when Jesus called him, he said, hey, come follow me. And he immediately dropped the nets and followed him. Now, why would he do that? If you've been around here before, you've heard me say this, that back then, the hardest thing for a child to do was to overcome their parents, not the hardest, it was difficult for a child to overcome their parents' um, career. So if daddy was a fisherman, sons were expected to be fishermen, right? There was one exception. The uh, LeBron James, if you would, of the day, the job that everybody wanted was to be a rabbi. Rabbis could go around, they were considered highly respected. And so imagine LeBron James came to you today and said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you a Laker. At first, you might be sitting there going, the Lakers are a really bad basketball team. I don't really want to play for them, but it comes with the NBA contract, so I'll go, right? Now, if you go to that, you're probably not expecting to be a starter. You're probably not, but you're like, someone's offered me an NBA contract. I'm going. This is probably why Peter went. I don't want to, to make it less spiritual, but that's probably why he went. He's like, sounds good. Better than fishing for the rest of my life. Let's go. And so he goes, not knowing what to expect. Now, this is both freeing and scary. It's freeing in the idea that you don't have to know everything about your future, but scary in that when God calls you, you aren't going to know everything about your future. And I think that's, that's something we have to be willing to understand because following the calling of God is saying, God, where do you want me to go? And I'll go. We have a prayer around here that we've prayed often. The answer is, yes, Lord, now where do you want me to go? And that's what it means to answer God's calling. I remember when I was first answering God's calling in my life, and I was um, feeling God, God called me to vocational ministry. And not all of you will be called to vocational ministry. In fact, most of you in this room will not, right? But when I first did this, I grew up in a family where my dad was a minister, and so it was kind of like carrying the legacy on or whatever, but I felt like God was calling me to be a minister. And so I remember going to my father when I was about 16 or 17 and saying something to the effect of, um, Dad, I feel like God's calling me to be a minister. And I expected something along the lines of, I'm so proud. Son, you're going to be great. You're carrying on the family legacy. We're so thrilled that you are going to be in ministry. But that's not what I got. Instead, my father looked at me when I said, Dad, I feel called into vocational ministry and said the following, Son, if there's anything else in this world you can do and be happy, do that. And what I wrestled with that at the time, what I began to realize is that was actually the wisest advice he could give me. Why? Because if you're doing something outside of the will of God's calling, you're going to be miserable. But if God's calling you to do something and you don't, you're going to be miserable. And so the wisdom was, I realized I couldn't do anything else in this world and be happy. So following God meant I'm going to go wherever he wants me to go. And that's where I find contentment and joy. So what's God calling you to do? Well, the second thing is it's easy to say I'm going to go and and go where God calls me to do, and I hope you do. And the first calling is to accept Jesus as your Savior, to realize he died on the cross for you, to realize that he wants you to have a relationship with him, because following a person you don't have a relationship with makes no sense. We're not following a list of codes. We're following a God who wants to speak into our life and be in our life and direct us and guide us. So when God calls us to go, we're willing to go. But here's the second part I want you to see. When God calls you, there is a cost. 
And the cost is important to understand. Just like my dad said, there's a cost. Um, But the first step of obedience is being willing to go where he leads. But understanding the calling doesn't mean life will be easy. Following Christ definitely doesn't mean that life will be easy. But it does mean we will see God's faithfulness. And perhaps no better example was Peter. As he grew in his faith, began to see God do amazing things. Now, he probably followed Jesus because Jesus was a rock star. You know, followed Jesus at first. And then he began to see something different. This isn't like a NBA superstar, although those words would not have crossed his mind. We do understand that, right? He would have thought, okay, I'm beginning to see that this, this really is God, that he's, he's teaching, he's wise. This is not like anybody else I've ever been around. And he began to grow in that understanding, grow in that knowledge. And he even saw miracle after miracle. And he saw God do amazing things. And I think he probably thought at some point, this is awesome. I'm with this guy who can do anything. I am thrilled. Life's going to be great. One of those situations was a time when he had five loaves of fish, Five loaves of bread (laughs) and two fish. And he fed over 5,000 people that day. I mean, guys, this was better than a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, okay? I mean, it was awesome. And they were sitting there going, okay, this is awesome. And we fed all these people. And and I think that would have been what I call the, the church camp experience. You know what a church camp experience is? Anybody been to church camp? If you haven't, let me let me catch you up. Okay, here's a typical rhythm of a church camp week. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of this. I'm, I'm saying God does mighty things, but this is the typical rhythm of a youth church camp. Monday, I'm really nervous. This is kind of cool. A lot of cool people here. Yeah, there are other people celebrating Jesus. That's awesome. Tuesday, I'm really tired. This is going to be a long week. Wednesday, this week's almost over. I can't believe it. Uh, this is awesome. God's really doing something. Thursday night rolls around and cry session breaks out. Let me explain cry session. Christ session as a teenage boy was very weird because I would remember going and seeing all the girls start crying. And I remember going, huh, they're crying. Huh, there's this saline thing coming out of my eyes. I'm crying too. How did this happen? And all of a sudden, everybody starts hugging everybody. And that's awesome because like you're a teenage guy. You're like, I'm hugging people. This is fun. And so you start going, this is great. If this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I want to go there from now till eternity. God, keep moving. And I love it. And, and God does amazing things. God spoke to me many times through camp settings. And I really became passionate about Christ through camp settings. But the problem with camp settings is Monday's coming. You know what Monday's coming is? Monday's coming is when you realize there's friends that, you, that weren't at camp setting, you weren't going to get it. Their parents aren't going to understand that. And then you're going to have to wake up and you're going to have still chores. And your brother's still going to live in the house with you. And your mom still has rules. Peter's Monday morning is found in Matthew 14, through 26. They had just fed the 5,000 people. The camp setting, oh, this is awesome. But then he gets to see there's a cost. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray to himself. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, They were terrified, wouldn't you be? It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. 
They didn't recognize Jesus at first because they weren't expecting Jesus to walk on water. They weren't expecting him to come. All they knew that Jesus was over there praying and they didn't understand how to deal with that. So in that reality, they're having this awful place. Now, why were they afraid? They had just seen Jesus do miraculous things less than 12 hours earlier. They had just seen Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. Why were they afraid? Because, well, Jesus was not in the boat in that moment. Have you ever been there where you're sitting there going, okay, Jesus, where are you? Are you in the boat? Jesus, where are you? I I know you're in my life, but where have you been? What are you doing? God, I've seen you move all around me. You've been in the past, but are you going to be with me now? See, I want you to understand something. Following Jesus does not mean life will always be easy. In fact, sometimes you'll have to go through the storms. And I want to ask you, are you willing to pay the cost The cost that says, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. There's two distinct truths as we can gather from this passage as we're following where he leads in the cost. First of all, the storms will happen in our life. The storms will happen in our life. Did you notice something important about this passage? God, being Jesus, told them to get in the boat and go. He told them to go. And when the storms came, they're probably their natural tendency at that point was, which one of you sinned? Did you do it? You know, they're thinking back to Jonah and Nineveh. Let's, let's throw somebody overboard. No, that's not what, I think they were sitting there going, what happened? What caused this? To... It was not as a result of their sin. Now hear me. Sometimes consequences come as your sin, as a result of your sin. That is called punishment. <laughs> Why? Well, because you were stupid. And sometimes that's punishment. It was supposed to be a little funnier. Some of you thought it was being really serious. I was, but it's also supposed to be a little, come on, laugh with me here, people. The reality is sometimes consequences come in our life because we're, we make bad choices. But sometimes things happen in our life because it's a storm. Now, I'm not going to get into the depth because people argue about the storms and God causing it and all that stuff. But I want you to see storms will happen. And the second thing I want you to see is the storms are never bigger than God. The storms are never bigger than God. Jesus wasn't scared by the storms when he walked to him. Why? Because, well, he's sovereign in control of everything. Say, peace be still, and the waves are still, and he knew that. The real question that we have is not do we believe that God is over the storms. The real question is how do we handle the storms of our life when they happen? One of the biggest questions of our faith will be how do we handle the storms of our life? In this call to call, to, to serve God, to be faithful, to go where he asks us to go. Are we willing to, to pay the price and, and go where he asks us to go? Do we trust God not just with our future, but do we trust him at a level of going? Let's continue and see how to stay faithful through the storms, the consistency that's required. Matthew 14, 27 through 32 says this. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. 
And after climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. They were following God, and, and God had showed them before he was the Son of God. They, he had showed them just the previous 12 hours. You know, I think if you took uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, I keep wanting to say five loaves of fish. That does not make sense. Five loaves of bread and two fish, and makes baskets and baskets over after you feed 5,000 plus people. I think at that point you could go, surely you're truly the Son of God. So it's another affirmation of that moment. And, and I think sometimes Peter in this passage is sitting there going, see, Peter wasn't that great of a guy. And in fact, Peter should epitomize what the church is, right? Who, me? He was brash. He was the kind of guy that would probably, well, let's just say he was the kind of guy that you wouldn't want your kid teaching the vocabulary words to, right? He was the guy who chopped off a man's ear. And as you're going to see, if you come to the Good Friday service, Jesus, Peter was a man who would never quite fully grasp it, except that he did, because God kept looking at him and saying, you, Peter, are going to build my kingdom. Who, me? Yes, you. Why? Because Peter had faith. And it's really easy to look at this passage and go, Peter, what's wrong with you? What happened? But I want you to see one fact. Eleven of them stayed in the boat and Peter got out. Peter got out of the boat. Why did Peter get out of the boat? Well, go back to the earlier passage. When, when the, Jesus called the disciples, he said, come follow me. Come follow me. That's what a rabbi would have done at that time to call a disciple that says, you are now my apprentice. If he said the word, come follow me. And when you did that, you were saying, I will not go unless you say, go. I will not do anything that you do not ask me to do. And so when Peter looks and recognizes Jesus and says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come He's asking him, Lord, call me to follow you out there, out of the boat. So Jesus says, come, and he does. And he starts walking on water. That's kind of awesome. Walking on water. Now, if you're walking on water, I, I, I think that's a pretty cool moment. But then he starts to sink. Why? Now, Jesus called him and he said, come. So that's obeying the calling, okay? He knew that there were storms. Duh, the storm was all around him. But yet he was willing to walk literally out into the storm because he knew the character and the nature of who Jesus was. But when he started to sink, well, let me put it to you like this. Did Peter get out of the boat to glorify God? Or did Peter get out of the boat to glorify God? Peter. You ever been there? God, I want to be faithful to you, and you really want to be faithful, but you don't know if you really want to be faithful for the glory of God or for the glory of you. Let me be very transparent with you. I'll give you an example. Last night, I posted something about pray for our church, and I woke up this morning shocked to find it had been shared eight times, and I don't know, a bunch of likes, and I was sitting there going, oh, it's pretty awesome. And in that moment, I felt God going, Daniel, right? Did you share that to get a bunch of shares and likes? No. But I think that's what we want, right? 
We really want sometimes people to go, you are the most holy person I know. You're the best mom that a, a, a kid could ever hope for. You are the best dad or friend or worker or employee or human being breathing on the planet that the world has ever known. Stop, you know, please. And sometimes when we really follow God and we're following his calling, we want to do what is pure and right, but there's this part of us that's humanity that gets mixed in. So how do we know that what we're doing is really of God, for God and for his glory, or for us to go, look at us, look how faithful I am? Well, when Peter was walking on the water, he couldn't do that on his own. When he started to sink is when he thought about himself. So let me translate this for you. My prayer is that we as a church quit having the entertainment value of church. That we understand the importance of understanding that Jesus came to change me as a follower of Jesus to abandon everything. And if that means I need to work in the nursery, I'm going to work in the nursery. I may not want to right away, but God will give it to me unless I'm bad with kids and then I'm going to stay away. Right? But if God's calling me to do it, I want to do it. Now, how do I know that God's calling me to do it? It can't be about you. Your life isn't about you. It's about glorifying God. And so when we understand that and we start going, okay, God, now I want to know there. So I want you to understand this. How did Peter know to go? Look back when it said, he said, come, you know, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. But when Jesus first spoke to him, he said, have courage, it is I. He didn't say the following. Hey, guys, don't worry. Jesus. Jesus is here. Woohoo! No, he said, it is I. And at that moment, Peter was like, I'm all in. Why? He recognized his voice. Do you know that science shows you that if you live, the people in your house you live with, even in a noisy room, if they say four syllables, there's a 99.9% .9 chance you can recognize the voice. So for instance, if mom speaks and you live with mom, there's a 99.9% .9 chance you can recognize her voice even in a crowded room. Same true is true with your spouse. Same is true with kids. If you are a college student living with the people after a certain amount of time, there's a 99.9% .9 chance of people that you live with and talk with daily that you'll be able to recognize them. However, the moment that they no longer live with you, that is a steep drop-off at the ability to recognize it. So let me put it to you like this. Let's say you're at Kroger or Payless, whatever it's called, right? And you're walking down the aisle and you hear a voice down the next aisle over and it's my voice. And you sit there and you think, I know that voice. That dude sounds handsome. I mean, he has a face for radio, but the voice is awesome. But I can't quite place who it is. Now, who is really handsome in my life? And my name apparently doesn't come first to your mind, right? And so you might be able to go, I know that voice, but you can't put into context, even though you might hear me once a week speak. Why? Because, well, none of you in this room right now, because my wife and my kids aren't in here, live with me. 
In fact, studies show that you can be around people on a weekly basis, but because you don't live with them, that number drops from 99.9% all the way down to maybe 42% of being able to identify the person with the voice in only four syllables without seeing their face. So here's Peter interacting with Jesus. He says, have courage, it is I. Have courage. In the Greek it says, ego ami. No, he didn't speak in Greek, I didn't get that. But ego ami is four syllables. It is me. Do you know the voice of God well enough to know when he's saying, it is me? If not, maybe it's because you aren't living with him. And I think that's the hardest thing. People come to me all the time, Daniel, tell me what the Lord's will is. And I will tell you the best I have. I will tell you to seek God's will and seek his direction. But I'm not about to tell you where God asks you to go. You need to figure that out for yourself. So we have to recognize God's voice. We have to understand that there is a direct correlation with intimacy in being able to recognize one's voice. There's a direct correlation with the effort you put into your relationship with God and him being able to direct your life. So do you know his voice? How do we hear from God, or why don't we hear from God? Let me cover three reasons why we don't hear from God. First, we don't know his voice. We don't know his voice. We don't recognize it because we aren't living with him. We aren't opening his word. We aren't trying to chase after his character, his nature. Uh, we aren't seeing the, how God moves. And some of you think it's crazy. How would you hear from God? Well, I spend time with God, and so I know his character. I know his nature. God's never going to ask me to do something outside his character. He's never going to ask me to do outside something out of his nature, and I'm going to try to follow that as best I can. You have to spend time knowing his voice. Second reason we don't hear from God, he isn't speaking yet. God is not the guy at a fast food restaurant fulfilling your order. I'll have one job change, please. Tell me where to go. Thank you very much. I'll have a marriage, please. Can you tell me who to marry? Oh, he didn't answer right away. Okay. Sometimes God says, wait. And we are so impatient that we don't wait. And so we go do it our own way. And God says, I didn't tell you to move. And you're like, you didn't speak. And he goes, I know. So sits there until I do. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. Be patient. Sometimes the best prayers take years to be answered. The third way, reason we don't hear from God is, well, we aren't listening. We aren't listening because we don't really want to. And I, I'm going to share a story today. And I'm not trying to make fun of my grandfather. who's a different generation. I love my grandfather. But when I first got married, my grandfather, who is no longer living, um, gave me the world's worst marriage advice. Here's what he said. He said, son, the first time she asks you to do the dishes, mess it up and she'll never ask you to do them again. <laughs> Some of you think that's hilarious. Some of you are mortified, to which I would say it's a different generation, right? And I knew at the time that was horrible marriage advice. But you know what's sad is that's a lot of times how we treat God. That's a lot of times how we approach the church, Right? Oh, I, I'm not, I don't, I, don't I, I can't speak. I don't. And sometimes you just got to go, okay, I'm going to learn something new and go where God asks me to go. 
You see, God will reveal what he wants you to do through scripture, through experience, and through other people. I want to give you one caution because I want to say this. Sometimes people go, God's calling me to do something, and you go, no, he's not. Like if someone came to you today and say, okay, Peter walked on water. Guess what? Everybody gather at the lake. We're all going to go walk on the water, right? I would say, no, you're crazy. God's not telling you to do that. Don't go out on that water just yet. Don't do that. You're going to drown, right? So Martin Luther is the exception. If you don't know who that is, come find me afterwards. I'll catch you up. But do what God asks you to do. But I want to, as we go into our Monday morning application, get this idea. As a prayer in our faith, um, I've asked you to pray this before. The answer is yes, Lord. Now, where do you want me to go? That's what it means to follow God's calling. But there's another prayer that I think sometimes we need to pray. And that's this prayer. Lord, the answer is yes. Now take me where I can't go without you. So let me put it to you like this. Get in the boat. Yes, Lord, where do you want me to go? That's what all the disciples did. But I think there's another level of prayer that says, God, take me to where I can't go without you. I know there's going to be a cost. I know there's a calling. But I don't want to just do the bare minimum to be a follower of Christ. So here's my life. And guess what? There may be times when I look at myself and I start to sink, but I believe Jesus will catch me. And he may reprimand me, but then I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try to walk on water again. Not literally, right? Guys, I never imagined that I would end up in the middle of a cornfield preaching. I didn't know where West Lafayette was. And hear me, I fail far too often. I don't want my life to be easy. And as your pastor, I would encourage you to understand the benefit and the joy of recklessly abandoning following God and the reward of not just doing the bare minimum of being faithful, but challenging yourself to get out of the boat and let God do some things to your life that you've never, ever imagined he could. And be a part of that church. So maybe that's your prayer this week. I hope you'll pray one of the two. Lord, the answer is yes. Now, where do you want me to go? Or if you're bold enough, yes, Lord. Now take me where I can't go without you. And let's see God do some amazing things through us. Father, we thank you for how you're moving in our life. So take the best we have today and use it for your glory. God, the storms that some of us are living right now may seem like it's how are we supposed to serve you? God, I don't even know how to do that. But God, I pray that we are faithful to serve you. God, teach us what it means to really follow you, to to be willing to step outside our comfort zone, to serve God and others. Because, God, we don't want to be content. We want to, to build up your name. We want this community to be impacted by the power of what you're doing. We want lives to be changed. We want walls to be broken. And, God, we can't do that, but you can. So, God, we surrender to you now. Use us. Strengthen us empower us for the glory of your renown. In your holy name we pray. 
Amen.